Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. So tonight we have the privilege of speaking with Laura Klein. She is one of the administrators for the Lancaster Area Moms Through Adoption Facebook group. It's a virtual um, group where adoptive mamas get to connect. So Laura, thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting that we get to chat tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's start off with, I was going to say an easy question. I, I'm not sure if it's easy, but how, <laughs> tell us how you became an adoptive mama, Laura. Sure. Well, my husband, Joel, and I adopted our son, Theo, from China in October 2014. I had known since I was a little girl that I wanted to adopt, um, particularly after I babysat for a family that had four domestically adopted children. So I think taking care of them um, sort of solidified in my mind early on that you don't have to be biologically related to someone in order to be family. Um, and after my um, biological daughter Evangeline was born in 2011, I started sort of floating the idea of adopting our second child um, to my husband. And he didn't immediately jump on board, mostly because I had just finished grad school and settled us with like $45,000 in debt. So um, that, was a, that was a big mountain to, uh, to get over for him, for sure. But after a year or so, we had talked through everything and we decided to start the process and really start researching what it would take. And we ended up um, deciding to adopt a boy over age two from the Chinese Special Needs Adoption Program. And that was on um, October 16th, 2012. And I'll tell you why I know that date. It's so ridiculous. But I I used to have a blog and I blogged every step of the process. And that was one of the big emotional blogs that I posted was how we decided what program we were going to do. And, um, and it's really one of those strange sort of God ordained coincidences because when we matched with uh, the little guy who would eventually become our son, um, that was in uh, early 2014. Um, I checked his birthday to see what we'd been up to that day, and his birthday is October 16th, 2012. So it was the same day that we decided to adopt from China was the day he was literally born in China. That's amazing. Wow. Crazy. (laughs) I can tell you one more of those if there's time. Um, But I mean, obviously, these are just little coincidences, but I do kind of believe in divine coincidences. Um, or at least I do about these two things. <laughs> um, but um, back when my husband and I got engaged, um, this is such a silly story. <laughs> we went to P.F. Chang's to celebrate. And I got this fortune cookie at the end that said, don't give up. The beginning is always the hardest. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. You know, we just got engaged. The beginning is the hardest. Okay. So I kept it in a little drawer in my jewelry box. And after we decided to adopt from China, we decided um, not then, no, after we were matched with Theo, um, 
we went back to BF Chiang's to celebrate because I guess that's our go-to place. But I got the same fortune at the end of my meal. Do not give up. The beginning is always the hardest. And I thought that was just such an amazing little coincidence. You know, in the end, the beginning of marriage was very easy. But the adoption process was not easy at all. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe I took that to heart more the second time around. Maybe, uh, maybe the Lord just needed to hammer me with it a little bit. <laughs> So uh, here at Two Adoptive Mamas, we are using a phrase um, get said to me by a friend um, that hard is hard. And so like not uh, judging or shaming somebody else about their heart and or not even like kind of giving our own disclaimers like, well, we're not doing that be like as much as you like, but your, right. you know, your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. Just yeah. hard is hard. Um, so that's kind of where this next question comes from. Like, what is something that's currently hard in your day-to-day -day mamahood? I guess as an adoptive mom, um, what's hardest for me is uh, knowing if I'm ever truly going to be enough um, for him in particular. You know, between um, adoption trauma, between um, genetics and his personality and I mean, honestly, I don't even know the difference, if the difference I see um, between my kids is boy versus girl, um, or if it's adopted versus biological, or if it's just personality issues. Um, I, I don't have any frame of reference for that. So I, um, I find myself a lot of times assuming that it's related to adoption trauma, even though it may not be. And so I have a hard time knowing what to do about things that some people who don't have adopted kids, they say, oh, that's easy, just do this. And I second guess it because I think, well, that's what you would do with you know, a biological child who hasn't experienced all this trauma. What would I do you know, with a kid who has XYZ issues in his past? And so that's a little difficult. Um, yeah. But I think that's the main thing. And you know, as a mom in general, I think it's just trying to find a, a balance between, I, I work two jobs and so, I've got my day job and my evening job and then, you know, a mom job and all of that. And trying to figure out how to do that is hard. And I think that that's probably true for every working mom. Well, that's a really great segue, Laura. So into our next question. And that question is, what is something you wish was discussed more in the adoption community? That's some of what we're trying to address here at Two Adoptive yeah. Mamas. So what is missing in your opinion from the discussion? I think we need more discussion about two things. Um, the first being post-adoption depression. Um, that was something that I didn't even know existed until I had it and I had it bad. I didn't know it was something that could be diagnosed or treated. I just thought I was a terrible person that didn't deserve to have a family at all. Um, and I think that if there had been someone to sit down with me and explain that, before I had to go searching for it after suffering for three years, um, I think that would have been really helpful. So that's definitely something I try to always um, educate new adoptive moms and prospective adoptive parents on is, you know, that post-adoption depression happens and it happens to one in six adoptive parents, which is huge. Um, and I think the other thing would be um, the importance of getting your close friends and family, the people in your life um, to really buy in to your adoption because they're your support group. And um, it's messy, it's hard, exhausting, and absolutely life-changing to adopt. Um, at least it was for us. 
And um, we were really blessed to have a great support system, but I've seen so many adoptive families um, lose their closest friends and family members because they didn't really jump on board with the idea of being the family for someone that was a quote unquote outsider. Um, I think it's important that if you're adopting a child of a different race than the rest of your family, then you really need to think about what that would be like for the child and talk to your family about what that's like. I mean, if you have a super racist family, don't adopt a child of a different color than you. It's just not healthy for the child. And um, if you're adopting a child with special needs, you need to talk to your family about the changes that are going to happen, not only in your own house, but for family gatherings. And what does that look like? And what other you know, accommodations will need to be made at Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the other times you get together, because those tend to be times where people resist change. They really like their tradition and they don't want to, they don't want to invite new things in. They want to sort of, um, they'll soak up the new person, but they won't bring stuff with them. Do you know what I mean? Like they're all happy to love um, the new child, but there's a lot that comes with that new child and that can sometimes be more complicated than what they were expecting and then you get resistance to it. I think those are two really great things that need to be discussed and I'm going to piggyback a question on the second one in particular um, because I, so I'm, I parent two special needs kiddos um, right now, one from China and one from Poland and you're right that a lot of things that were family norms just look really different now that they're home um, and inviting family and friends into that process has been a journey um, for us that, and one that will obviously never end, right? Like we're going to be doing that forever. Um, so what's like one thing that really worked for you in the beginning stages of that in order to build that tribe, build that community? Um, yeah. What did, you know, did you have like a, a phrase or a certain thing that you really tried to explain first um, or what, what did that look like at the beginning? Well, it's interesting. Um, I mentioned previously that I struggled with depression immediately after um, we brought Theo home. And um, within a year, um, we moved across the state to be closer to family because our support system was wonderful at our church, but I didn't have anyone to call in the middle of the night or I didn't have anyone to just sort of lose it with. Do you know what I mean? Um, I had a lot of people who loved me, but I, I was really struggling and I didn't want them to know. But you know, with my family, I was like, I'm falling apart. Like I might die, you have to help me. <laughs> so I moved across the state. And so we really started over very, very quickly. We didn't have any friends. Um, we had family, fortunately, like I said, but um, we were really starting from scratch. And one of the things that we did, um, that would have been harder if we had stayed in Pittsburgh where we were was when we picked our new church here um, in Lancaster, we decided to attend a Chinese speaking church. Now it's a, a bilingual church, so we understand what's going on, even though I'm very, very, very beginner um, at Mandarin. Um, we've really, we've been there for, let's see, 2015, yeah, so almost five years. And we've really become part of that community. We have a lot of friends um, that are Chinese and we've learned so much from worshiping with them and spending time with them and befriending them. I've found that it's invaluable for um, my son to really understand in some vague sense what it means to be number one, Chinese, 
number two, Chinese American, because those two things are different. And um, sort of what his place is in the world, you know, in my extended family, he's not the only child of color, but he is the only Southeast Asian. Um, and when we go to church, I'm the only white lady. And it's actually, it's been really good for me to experience that and, and for him to have a place where he doesn't stand out at all. Like everyone looks at me and sees me and they know who I am, but there he just blends in with all the other kids and he loves that. So it's been a really good experience for us. Um, I would recommend that if someone is, um, you know, adopting outside of their race that they look for a group, whether it's a church or um, a community group or something, um, so that they can really be connected to the child's heritage. And I'm sure similar things can be found for children with specific special needs. You know, you can look for groups that have um, other kids with the same need so that once in a while, your child isn't the only one with a cleft lip or once in a while, your child's not the only one with a limb difference. Those are the kinds of things that can make a huge difference in how they view themselves and what their place is in the world. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Laura, because we, so my husband and I just completed the second home study process um, for domestic adoption. So we're in the wait. Um, But one of the questions that I always stumbled with um, through that process was how diverse is your community? And like, what's your plan if you end up adopting a child um, that's a different race or ethnicity than you? And I mean, I had ideas in my head, but I kind of always floundered at that question, like, well, what would we do? And so you just Um, yeah, I just really appreciated what you just highlighted because those are some like tangible, um, you know, concepts that we can think about as moms that it's really not, um, that, that crazy of an idea. It's just something that you can incorporate into the values of your family that make everyone feel part of it. So I love it. And don't get me wrong. There's some serious awkwardness at the beginning um, and still on the regular, some serious awkwardness. Um, Sometimes people come up and just start speaking to me in Mandarin and I have to remind them that I don't speak it. And then they laugh and it's funny. And when I try to speak (laughs) Mandarin, they laugh because they, you know, I have a terrible American accent and um, there's just lots of really awkward moments sometimes because there's a, a difference in cultural understanding that I never had anticipated or really ever experienced before. But it it's so worth it. Um, we actually had um, uh, a single mom live with us for a short time, um, a single Chinese mom and her baby. And it was so emotional and so special for my son to see a Chinese mom nursing um, her son. That moved him. And he's little, he's only eight, but he was just overwhelmed at this idea. It, like it suddenly clicked for him, like somebody did that for me, you know? And it was an an experience I never would have been like, okay, we're going to sit down and do this thing because it would have been weird, but it happened organically and it was kind of miraculous. Yeah. I think you touched on another great thing that like, so for Sarah's question, it's really hard to like put down or tell an agency, like here are all the things that I'm going to do to make sure our community is diverse without knowing the child and being able to like grow and have it organically happen. Like it means so much to your son now as he's continuing to get older and like coming into an understanding and asking questions and wanting to be able to like find his place in the world whereas like if you didn't know that about him or didn't know that you were going to china for example or whatever 
I mean, that wasn't the case for you, but I'm just thinking about like other yeah. moms who might be like struggling with like, well, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Well, just grow with your kiddo, get to know your kiddo, yeah. figure out what works for your family. Yeah. I mean, when I filled out the paperwork, I think I said, we plan to eat Chinese food once a week and <laughs> find a group. And like, I didn't know what it would look like either, but um, it's just about being intentional and sort of embracing the awkwardness of it. Um, I, I know I've been asked many times in the Chinese church, why are you here? <laughs> Not so much anymore, but they really wanted to know, like, why, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, as soon as they understood, I mean, we were totally accepted, totally embraced. It's a loving and warm family community. It's great. And I, I hope other adoptive families can, can have that. You know, I've invited a bunch of other um, white adoptive families um, with kids from China to come to our church just to experience it. Um, but it's very intimidating. Um, and, and so I've only had a few people come once. Um, but the idea of, you know, doing it every week is, is a little bit scary. So I get it. Trust me. I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't been starting at square one. So be brave. <laughs> so um, let's jump into a slightly different topic and talk a little bit right now. You're an administrator of a Facebook group for like a, the local area. Um, that Sarah mentioned earlier, Lancaster area, Moms Through Adoption. So can you talk a little bit about how you got started with leading that group or, you know, what made you want to lead that group and kind of what are your goals for the community in that group? Sure. Um, so uh, LAMPTA, Lancaster Area Moms Through Adoption, is a local branch of a larger group um, here in eastern Pennsylvania that started with a group of adaptive moms in Philadelphia, Hampta. There's also a Harrisburg group, Hampta. Um, when I first joined the Lancaster group, it was immediately after I had moved to Lancaster. Um, so I was really looking for any kind of community at all, any kind of friendships. And they were looking for a new admin. And I was like, well, I mean, I know how to use Facebook. I, I do social media for a living. I'm a graphic designer, so I, I can do this. But I mean, obviously, I don't know anyone in this group. And they were like, oh, good. Here. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so I took over with very little understanding of what the group really was or what it was going to be like, but um, just sort of jumped in and became the moderator. And at first it was slow going. I was just sort of feeling my way through the process and I was still very new at being an adoptive mom and at that point still really struggling with depression. So I was sort of juggling all the really hard stuff um, and trying to pretend that I had it all together so I could be the the mod of this group, but um, it's been really great. You know, I, uh, over time, I have uh, seen the group grow and change. The most active members of the group tend to be the new, um, the new moms, the prospective adoptive moms, um, and those who are really struggling. Um, and the sort of been there, done that moms swoop in with answers and advice. And um, even sometimes just like, hey, I don't know what to tell you, but You'll get through it. I did, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a really amazing community to have. Um, we have sort of three goals, I would say, for the group. Um, the first is to just be a community that's available. Um, I know that some members of the group have very close friendships that they've made within the group. Now, that's not me in particular, but um, there are definitely some groups of women that have sort of hunkered down and, and become their own subgroup um, based on what kind of adoption they did or how old their children were when they were adopted, that kind of stuff, sort of um, 
just little miniature versions and they've, they've thrived, which is great. Um, and you know, Lambda is a great place to meet other people who are in your shoes. Um, and the second thing would be um, to create sort of a repository for resources, um, stuff like doctors and dentists who are people of color, therapists who are adoption knowledgeable, um, any upcoming training sessions for parenting traumatized kids, um, and all the way to things like uh, free benefits that are being offered by the community for adoptive families. Um, for instance, last winter before COVID really hit, um, there was a local group that offered a free movie for adoptive families. And we got to go see Frozen 2 for free on the IMAX. And it was really fun. And there was a, a neat community thing about walking in there and seeing just so many different kinds of families. Um, we didn't stick out. You know, we weren't the only family that had two different races. We, it was just neat. And everyone could just sort of feel that. We all chatted as if we were friends, which doesn't really happy, happen in the movie theater line usually. <laughs> but um, that was really fun. Um, and the, the third goal, I would say, I kind of mentioned this before, it's to be the place to ask questions from people who really have been there. Um, I've seen a lot of women come when they're struggling and I feel like it's been a real blessing for me to be able to be the person that says, hey, you're not a terrible person. <laughs> you are saying literally the same thing that I said, and I have resources for you. Um, and I've seen other moms swoop in like that when uh, a kid gets a diagnosis unexpectedly for a behavioral issue or a medical condition that they hadn't been told about in the file. And um, the moms can really just jump in and be like, hey, 11 years ago, we got that same diagnosis here's what we did. And that's amazing. I mean, you can find that stuff online, but not when you can private message the person and actually talk to them and get the name of their doctor. And it's, it's really good for that. That's great. So Lambda is, you are virtual, you're a virtual community, but like you just said, I mean, private messaging and being able to reach out to someone specifically and individually, that's really a neat sense of community. So um, talk to us how you kind of have navigated as one of the administrators um, the opportunities for moms to form strong relationships in the virtual setting. Sure. Well, um, one of the main jobs that I have is to screen people as they're coming in. And that's not a fun part of the job, but it actually does give me sort of a glimpse into um, what's happening in the adoption community outside of moms. We do sometimes get adoptive dads that want to join and there is no group for dads, but we're very clear. We're just for moms because we have to be a safe place for moms to say anything. Dads process things differently. Um, and we've had some birth moms that wanted to join the group. And um, we had to say no to that too, because our group isn't always sensitive to the issues that would be um, difficult for a uh, birth mom or, a, you know, a pregnant mom who's considering adoption, that kind of thing. So we um, keep the group very small and tight knit. I ask a couple of questions before people join so that I know who's coming into the group. And then I have everyone introduce themselves to the group. Um, usually I have them say, um, you know, what general area they live in, um, tell us about their family, you know, where their kids are adopted from, um, how old they are, that kind of thing, just to sort of um, put it out there. So anybody who is in that same boat can sort of jump in. And that's 
sort of naturally what happens, you know, when, um, when I jump in and reintroduce myself every couple of months, um, I'll always get at least one or two comments afterwards. It's like, oh, I have a son from China. Oh, I have a daughter from China. Oh, my child is from Hubei province too. Like all these neat little things that create connections. So we do have a place to chit chat with somebody who, you know, really has a specific connection. And that, that's a really neat thing. So to wrap things up for our time today, is there something that you would share um, with an adoptive mama who's listening, whether that has to do with um, some of the things that we talked about finding like diversity in your community um, to support your family, or if it has to do with maybe they're not a part of a Facebook group, or maybe they're not a part of any community at all, and they're seeking that, is there anything that you would want to send them off with to encourage them? Oh, so many things, <laughs> so many <laughs> things. Um, I have complicated thoughts about adoption. Um, I think also, you know, my, my whole experience was different from what a lot of people have. So my advice tends to be very different from um, somebody who had a sort of uh, rainbows and unicorns experience. Um, we want to hear, we want to hear. <laughs> um, I think when, um, when I talk to somebody who's considering adoption, I tend to give people the the deep, dark secrets of how difficult it really can be. And um, I know I've actually used the phrase, this could be the worst decision you ever make in your life and you have to live with it. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do this? A thing that could destroy your marriage, could destroy your mental health, could completely change the course of you know, your other children's lives. Are you willing to do that for the opportunity to parent a child who you know very little about? And if you're still willing to do it, then please do it. But if you're not, please don't. Because it is really hard. And I would never encourage people not to adopt. I just want people to go in with their eyes wide open so that when they face difficulties, they're not embarrassed. They're not surprised. And they know that they can find help. Um, that's, that's a huge thing for me. Um, like I said, I struggled a lot and I did not get the help I needed for a very long time. And I am heavily medicated now, which is great. And I'm not embarrassed to say that because it really saved my life. And um, I would definitely just make sure that people know that that's okay. Needing help to do this is normal. It's not meant to be done alone. I think that's a great way to end it. So thank right. you so much, Laura. No problem. I'm gl really glad you guys had me talk about this stuff. I actually haven't gotten to talk adoption in a while, so it was kind of nice to, to go through it again. Oh, Good. awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. In this episode, we were able to connect with Laura Klein, who is passionate about keeping moms in the adoption and foster community connected and well-resourced. Her family's adoption story is special and inspiring no matter where you are in your journey to becoming a family. Remember to stay connected with Two Adoptive Mamas at twoadoptivemamas.com slash connect. We look forward to being back with you soon. You've got this, mama.